HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. This is a special live show, February 8th, 2018. We're in the studio on a Thursday because uh, Eric Asimov in the New York Times wrote an article about brown ales and uh, inspired a bunch of us to get together. And uh, we'll join by uh, one of the tasting panel members, Clay Risen who writes the New York Times. Hey, Clay. Hey, how's it going? Thanks How are you, me. buddy? I'm great. Thanks for having me. And our style expert, homebrew master here, John Lapolia. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Nice to nice to be here, Jimmy. Thanks for having me. Bitter and Esters. And we've got Esters. a couple of brewers coming in also. Well, one of us is here, at least, right? I'm Brian from Departed Souls Brewery. Thank you for having me, Jimmy. In Jersey City. And we've got Killsborough from uh, uh, Staten Island on the way in. So we, we wanted to talk about brown ales. You know, there's that question you always want to ask, what does brown mean to you? But we're, we're going to kind of, you know, take it as a point of departure. I mean, John Styles, you know, brown ales. Uh, Clay on the way in was saying that when you were younger, you, you know, you drank something like a Newcastle brown ale. Yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I feel like in the 90s, that was probably the beer that I had more than anything else. You know, after I got past, uh, you know, the Bud Light phase of uh, my career, you know, you go into the brew pubs of the 90s and that's what people had. I mean, there's a porter and a stout and usually, you know, one or two brown ales. And and then uh, Newcastle was one of the, the cool beers that you would drink. You know, if someone had Newcastle on, on tap or in a bottle, that was a quality place. And, and at some point, they vanished. John, it's, fu- it's funny. Our, our very first uh, recipe that we wrote for the store when we were first starting was a brown ale. Um, it was for a friend of mine named John, and uh, the name of the beer came out great was John's Left Nut Brown Ale. <laughs> and then uh, when we opened the store, <laughs> we said, maybe we can't uh, call it that. So now it's called John's Unnut Brown Ale. So works out. But the brown ales, um, what, uh, what I find with the nut brown ales, what you really need to use is a, a malt called Special Roast. 
and that's what gives it uh, color and like that, that nut flavor. Right? We do have one. Uh, we have a hazelnut brown that we have that, that has hazelnut flavoring in it, but mostly the nut browns don't really have any not, not, not the uh, ones that we have at the store. You know, in the article that, that, that you were part of, Clay, you know, you guys kind of had a wide range of, of brown ales. And how do you guys pick, pick those beers and, you know? You know, yeah, it's, uh, I wish I could say it was a lot more scientific than, <laughs> than anything. But really, the approach is, uh, you know, it's great for New York readers uh, because it's a, it's a natural approach. We go out and find out, find what's in, what's in the market and what, what can you find. And, and a lot of times with a lot of beers, it might, you know, maps pretty well with what might be available in the country. But, uh, you know, we found it was, uh, I didn't do it myself, but, uh, you know, the guy who did the buying set actually is uh, surprisingly hard to find, to find a good range of brown ales, uh, particularly beyond the, the sort of obvious brown ales, you know, you sort of get the standards, but then when you go past that and you say, well, we only want Americans and we only want, uh, craft stuff, uh, man, it's, uh, it's few and far between. Yeah, I mean, it must be hard to get like, the classic brown ales, like in, in the article, Kelso Nut Brown Lager. I know that's something like for years at Jamie's 43, there would always be people who wanted a maltier style of beer. And that usually fit the bill. If I had Kelso Nut Brown Lager on, on tap, that, that worked. Um, you, I know you had a Brooklyn yeah, we had brown a, ale. Yeah, and, and, and if you look at the ones that did well, uh, they, uh, it's all blind tasting. But uh, the ones that did well were, uh, you know, kind of the, the standards. I mean, you had your Kelso and Brooklyn and Dogfish Head. Uh, we didn't have the Avery, so, um, you know, I'm sure that probably would have been up there. But you know, these are all beers that I've known and loved for, for a long time. And, and it's not to say that uh, the other guys weren't any good, but uh, it just, uh, I don't know, there was a, a certain, not, yeah, thinness, I don't know. I mean, there was... Um, to me, part of it felt like there was some experimentation and there was some cool stuff going on, but maybe in a couple of years, you know, it's, so it's exciting, but also a little frustrating. And also when you're picking the panel, it's also what's available in store. So it's in package, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. of course. So lo locally, that's why we're doing the follow-up show. A lot of the beers that, that are available in the city often on draft yeah. at tap rooms. On, Brian, you were telling me that um, you really like uh, Chris Cusme's. Uh, yeah, Brown, I, had the, uh, I had the pleasure of visiting uh, Fifth Hammer Brewery, one of the newer breweries in Long Island City, uh, the other day, maybe, I believe, uh, one Saturday ago. Uh, they were setting up for Homebrew Alley, actually, uh, and uh, Chris has a delicious brown ale on draft. It's actually made with all New York malt. Um, I guess that's something they, they do with their farmer's license here. Uh, it was the first thing I saw on the menu, and it was the first thing I drank, and I, I just kept going back to it. He did a phenomenal job with that beer. He knows how to make beer. <laughs> he certainly <laughs> does. So, what do you, th so you think Fifth Hammer's doing great? They just opened they do, up in the yeah. fall, didn't they? Uh, Chris has got a lot of uh, experience to begin with, so he came out out of the box running. Was, Absolutely. Uh, phenomenal really Pilsner, stuff. too, actually. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, IPAs are great. Everything's been really good. I'm in a band with them. <laughs> so I got, I got to say nice things about them. But it's funny how, how this whole circle all comes together because um, you mentioned how you were at bars in the 90s and brown ales were the cool thing. And you guys mentioned how at, at Bitters and Esters you were... Um, the first homebrew recipe you guys wrote was a brown ale. Yeah. And it's pretty cool because when I was uh, in homebrew or I was in brewing school, the beer I was drinking at the bar, given we're all of different generations here, was Ellie's Brown Ale from, mm -hmm. from Avery. That was, that was my go-to. And my first all-grain uh, beer recipe that I brewed was a nut brown ale, actually. You know, we, we do some gluten-free stuff. So for me to go into non-gluten-free was unique, and, and brown ale was just... It just it was what made sense to me to brew, and it's it's 
really cool, and it, I think it says something a lot for the style that despite different generations, for some reason, something clicked about brown ale that attracted all of us to it uh, right away once we got into craft. They're, yeah. they're fun to make. Absolutely. That's, that's the, uh, just because you're, pale ales are fine, but the brown ales, you can really make a complex malt profile. And so you can, you can mess with the malts more than, than the hops. Like now, People always want to add tons of hops to their beers, but with the uh, brown ales, it's a, a style that can be uh, different ranges of malt flavors. And it's that, a great way what, to, to yeah. put your toe into the water on specialty grains for right. the first exactly. time. For and, sure. and if you're, you know, if you're, uh, I don't know, if you're an experienced drinker, you know, something that has subtle flavors, nuanced flavors, can be a lot more fun to drink uh, than something that really hits you over the head with uh, one or two big flavors. And uh, that's not to knock IPAs or anything, but uh, I think when I sit down with a malt with a really nice malty brown ale. Uh, I'm finding a lot of stuff that, uh, you know, maybe takes a little while to appreciate. It sort of comes out after maybe, maybe it's even on the second beer, but it's interesting and complex. It's also as a brewer, it's, it's nice because it actually tests your knowledge and your skills a little bit more because you can't hide any flaws in Mm. a nut brown ale. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no hops. You can't, you know, dry hop nut brown ale. You don't even see that right now. So if you screw (laughs) something up, I'm sure now that I mention it, Eight people at home are like, oh, man, dry hop that nut brown ale that's in my secondary right now. But as soon as I get out of yeah. here, I'm drying yeah, up. Yeah, you can't, you know, especially something like an English brown ale where, where your yeast really accentuates the malt. Um, you know, you can't hide a flaw. So you got to be on your game when you're brewing a brown ale, too. It's not, it's not as easy as it may seem. John, the name is Nut, nut brown ale, we hear a lot. Right. Um, another New York City made brown ale, uh, Bridge and Tunnel uh, in Queens has yeah. the uh, hazelnut brown ale. I think it's hazel eyes, hazelnut brown ale. What's the tradition of putting nuts in a brown ale? Is that common? Uh, it's it's common for certain styles, especially with hazelnut, but I think that the nut brown might come more of the color. The color is yeah, nut was, brown. That's my understanding. Uh, and there are nutty flavors. Like I said, special roast especially will give a nutty flavor to it. But, you know, I've never had a peanut brown ale or, a, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Again, Also, coming soon from Bitters and Esters. Well, there are some. That in, in your article, the Black Hog has, uh, I think it's granola... Yeah, brown. That's yeah, like kind yeah. of raisiny That's granola. Awesome. But again, is that just from the malts? You know, I don't think they actually put granola in and raisins. I think you yeah. said they put granola in it. I, oh, I, in the oh. article, I think it said that they did actually brew it with granola. But I think you're right that with a lot of the descriptors, it's more coming from the malt and and well, color. But even the flavor is coming from the malt, uh, which to me as a non brewer is awesome because I don't know how you do that. And you get these <laughs> cool flavors and you taste it and go. They put nuts in here, right? No. Well, the no, unique thing is that it's it's almost a similar style to brew as an amber ale, and an amber ale can run from red to almost brown. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. very similar. Um, so you're really just trying to dial in that that really bready character, as opposed to the sweetness that you'd get from those caramel malts. It's a fine tuning of the really roasty. As opposed to with an amber ale, well, uh, amber ale where it's a lot of like the middle roast, I think at do, least. When you're when you're working your malts, John and Brian, do you ever use smell as an indicator? Yeah. Or, or is it just visually? Do you but, smell and I, I like to eat it. 
Yeah. I like to eat it once it's crushed, try it, um, you know, go to the local homebrew store, see what they have available, see the samples we get sent to our brewery, try it, and actually eat it. And, and that really gives you a better, uh, you know, feel for what you're working with, I think. It depends on the style, too. I mean, certain styles, the maltier styles will have malt aroma. I mean, if you're making a double IPA, people a lot of times will be like, I'm making this IPA, I'm putting in 14 dry hops. <laughs> uh, what malt should I use? I'm like, Pale malt, it just you know, <laughs> you know, don't worry about it because you're just you're you're knocking it all out of the park with the hops anyway. But when it comes to uh, complex malt bills, yeah, you're definitely going to look for uh, malty aroma. So let's go back in history. So we're, we're starting with the Sam Smith Nut Brown Ale, um, which back in you know you mentioned yeah. the '90s, Sam yeah. Smith was always my go-to beers from England, and Nut it was Brown too classy for me. Yeah, Nut. <laughs> I like the classy. And what I like about this beer in particular is that on the way in at Roberta's, I had Melvin IPA, which is, which is a big uh, hoppy IPA that I love when I come here. But I went from that bitter IPA to this like malty kind of soothing brown ale, and it just reset my whole palate. Um, I don't know what you guys think of this beer, but oh, I've always loved this. Beer. Yeah, if we're this talking is, brown ales, right? This is this is the style. This is the this is the beer that that started. The funny thing about the American brown ales is that. It wasn't a style uh, before homebrewing. We, we had in America, we had there was one IPA, and there was mainly just the light lagers. But there, no one was making brown ales. It wasn't until the homebrewers started to emulate the English styles that they they started opening the craft breweries, and it became a style. So it's a, as far as American brown ales, it's actually quite a new style. Uh, I don't think there's any historical. American brown ales uh, before prohibition, right? Not there, that, maybe not there that were, but come to my mind, yeah. I wasn't alive then. So. Samuel Brian, let's Smith let's has made a great <laughs> name. Has, Samuel Smith has made a great name on brewing these traditional beers, you know, and it's it's been great for them, and it's a, it's a delicious beer. Let, let, yeah. Let's pop your beer with Departed Souls. So we go Brown. from traditional to, to completely new, canned, canned last week. Yeah. And what's fun is when and Sean Torres just came in, Killsborough on uh, Staten Island. You get share the mic, Sean. How are you? Oh, yeah. And um, what was cool is also after, after the article came out in the Times, we posted on Facebook. Sean, you were one of the people that replied... Brian replied, and it was it was pretty interesting. You're seeing people that were passionate about about brownies, but you know historically, John, you know in the, in the 19th century in England, you know we know that brown brown was the color of beer for a long time. Yeah, and that's kind of when it went out of favor. Yeah, it was brown. It was uh, brown ales at that time were made 100 percent from brown malt, uh, and it was just the way the malt was made. It was uh, uh, usually roasted with straw. Sometimes it was roasted with moss, uh, which they say probably was Yum. pretty bad. Um, like then, <laughs> when they started making pale malt, then they started making pale beers, and they would add just some roasted barley to the uh, to the beer to make it uh, to make it brown, and then it just kind of fell out of favor uh, in the turn of the century. And then it kind of, I guess, it came back uh, in the early part of the of uh, the twentieth century, and then again, it's really taken off in, in America. Uh, well, I don't want to say really take it off, but it became a beer style in America uh, around the uh, 1980s, I would say. Yeah. Well, this is great. So now we have a, a, a new New York area beer, uh, Departed Souls. And on the can, it says nuts. <laughs> so we're on a theme here. Nuts. We, nut it's it's so, somewhat ironic that you said you couldn't name a beer anything to do with nuts, and I just went all all in on it. So, yeah. <laughs> though though in the the hyper uh, sensitive day and age we live in, uh, there is an asterisk next to the name. You can't really see it up top, but it's down there at the bottom, and it does very clearly state no nuts, nuts. were harmed or used in the making of this beer. We wanted to make sure that everybody could still enjoy it. 
Uh, we've, we've learned the hard way uh, these days. You, know, you basically got to label every single ingredient, you know, whether there's lactose in there, gluten in there, nuts in there. You just got to be careful. And so we went all in on it. We had a really fun can. I actually almost... Uh, put the kibosh on using this can design. Uh, the can design has a, a personal story uh, for me, but uh, when I got it from my artist uh, who does a ha- the Happy Hour comic, uh, I saw it and I was just like, ah, it's exactly what I told you, but now that I see it, I'm not sure that's what we should do. And, and I guess since you can't see it at home, uh, it's, a, it's basically the, the uh, thighs of a gentleman. Uh, with a squirrel running up one side, uh, tucked into the shorts, and a squirrel running down the other side, a blind squirrel running down the other side, um, Here, Clay, check it out. holding two nuts in his hand. Right. <laughs> and uh, it, it goes back to a story about my best friend who always said that's what he was going to get tattooed on his legs, and we wanted to reference that. And uh, we, we've gotten some feedback about it, but uh, positive r- feedback, uh, personal stories. You know, <laughs> there's there's things people say things, but uh, the beer is delicious, by the way. Oh, thank yeah, you. It's awesome. Really yeah. We're getting really deep into this like lore of the brown ale. Oh, we can, yeah, can we go for two hours? Is that <laughs> well, we'll go I got. There. I don't want to beat the traffic on the way home. So yeah, yeah. We did a English ale yeast in this one to really bring forward the malts. We did a lot of those those dark roasted to give you that um, that bite. Uh, last year uh, we kind of rolled with that recipe. This year I actually threw in some honey malt to try and balance it out, give it a little bit more sweet sweetness, uh, make the harshness of those specialty malts dial down just a tad. But i um, really, really happy with the way this one came out this year. 6.9%. Having a lot of fun with it. Clay, you having fun? Yeah, I am. This is, this is really nice. It's, uh, yeah, it's just kind of nice. The balance, there's, you know, there's that fruity, subtle fruitiness you get sometimes with a brown ale that comes out of the maltiness. And the, but, but, you know, it sometimes can be a little overpowering. This is very nicely balanced. I, Thank I, you. I find. Well, that was something I wanted to mention. The, the yeast that you use for a brown ale is really important. You want to use a less attenuative yeast, something that's going to... Uh, give you a higher final gravity with some sweetness and some esters. Mm-hmm. That's yep. why almost yeah. always it's English yep. uh, yeast. All right. Hey, uh, Victor, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, it's a special Thursday show. We're talking brown ales with Clay Risen from the New York Times. And everybody else, introduce themselves because we got some new guests. Yeah. Oh, oh. I'm John from Bitter Ernesto's Homebrew Shop in Brooklyn. I'm Sean Torres from Killsborough Brewing Company in Staten Island. I'm Brian from Departed Souls Brewery in Jersey City, New Jersey. All right. Clay, you having fun? I'm having a great time, Jimmy. How are you having? This is a little different than the New York Times tasting (laughs) panel, isn't it? It's a little different. It's nice to get out of the office. He was shotgunning beers while we were were at the radio (laughs) break there. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) So we're we're tasting. uh, We try to get you some locally made uh, brown ales. We mentioned uh, Chris Cusumay's Fifth Hammer out in Queens, which is great, and uh, Bridge and Tunnel's hazelnut brown ale out in Queens as well. But Brian, we're liking this. Uh, this is your nuts, nut brown ale from <laughs> Departed Souls. Yes, sir. It's uh, it's just a, a really nice, enjoyable beer. It was great for the Super Bowl. I think it's a good year-round beer, but I think you particularly see the, the local breweries dabbling in brown ales this time of year. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. seasonal to do right now. Uh, we're, we're before spring. We're after the Christmas beer. So this is where you get to see people either use some super fresh hops and IPAs or get really, really creative with uh 
with traditional beers or, or coming up with new styles. I mean, we just threw uh, we just threw a uh, hundred donuts in a beer because it was like, all right, well, what's March? Uh, nothing. <laughs> Sound like Augie Carton. Donut. Right? Oh yeah. Well, we yeah. get the next next week we brew the Peeps beer, so we like to we like to mess around. We throw a hundred Peeps in a beer next week. So great times. We got an Easter beer. We got all the Hallmark holidays covered. <laughs> yeah. No, it's interesting how you said. Um, you know, it's it's sort of that in between seasons and brown ales weren't necessarily um not a seasonal beer but they've kind of shifted into being a seasonal beer especially for us because this is our first and probably only brown ale for a while that we're going to brew uh so uh you know it's 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 colder months it's the darker beer seems to work really well now but um but yeah it's just interesting like normally when you think seasonal beers you think Oktoberfest, you think uh you know maybe something like saisons but uh but yeah the brown ale for us at least um has become sort of that one of our seasonals, I guess. Well, talking about brown ales earlier, Clay was saying back in the 90s, you know, when he was first getting into beer, something like a Newcastle brown ale was like, to him, it was a beer. And I feel that way, too. I think for a while, it was like if you wanted, you were into a beer, you wanted a good beer. This was before, like, craft beer. That you wanted something dark. And dark meant that you liked beer. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys feel the same way. Yeah, yeah, I, rem- I remember that exact feeling. Yeah. yeah, it was like, oh, this this is not what we can get here, right? There's nothing dark. Uh, except for maybe like a Yingling Porter, uh, but there was, right, there was yeah. the, the same sort of yeah, thing. I feel you knew like every every brew pub, you know, if you went to a new town and there was a brew pub there, you knew they would have uh, maybe a stout, definitely a porter, uh, and amber, and there would be a, all in without question a brown ale. Can and we talk more about the '90s? Good. I'm learning so much about <laughs> history. That's <laughs> when I started homebrewing. Ninety two. I was three years old. I was six. <laughs> I mean, that's and then also there, there were Belgian beers. You know, like a, you yeah. get a Chimay, you'd get you get a red, you know, or a blue, and it was kept getting darker and stronger. But you felt like you were drinking something too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I never really drank. If I was drinking light, I, I'd probably drink wine more or. You know, maybe even a vodka. <laughs> I was never really like a light beer drinker, but I was I was definitely into beer for beer. Well, I think one of the things that I mean, I grew up in Nashville, and and certainly my early drinking days were in Nashville, and so you know you weren't getting a lot of you know it was either what you'd buy at the store, which would be you know your big corporate beers, and then there would be the brew pubs. It wasn't like you could go into a package store and buy. Uh, you'd have t- a choice of twenty or thirty you know, local or regional craft beers. This just didn't exist. So it was either that hyper-local or, you know, or the national. And so the hyper-local was, was always kind of, it sort of became a style. I mean, I think that may be one of the things that hurt the uh, hurt that industry at the time was just, uh, you know, people didn't go outside of that realm. Hey, Sean, uh, th- I'm glad you made it on the show. We were waiting for yeah, you. Yeah, me too. I'll be honest. But you were, <laughs> you, you were one of the first people to reach out. You were enthusiastic about the brown ale. So how's it going? So it's it's Killsboro, yeah, um, Killsboro, Staten Island. Yeah, Killsboro Brewing Company. Um, we're a ten barrel brew pub out in Staten Island. Yeah. We um, we're actually a brew pub. We're connected to uh, the Craft House Restaurant and Craft Beer Bar, and uh, it just seemed perfect timing because we had just. Sorry about that, John. I kind of <laughs> overfilled his glass there for a second. Um, and uh, we noticed your article. Um, actually, the day after we brewed the brown ale. So it kind of seemed like perfect timing to, you know, um, mention, hey, speaking of brown nails, we have one coming up. And, uh, and yeah, so, and what we just poured is the Liar, which is the brown ale that we're currently distributing. Uh, it's at a few bars right now. Um, Covenhoven, I think, just tapped it last night. Uh, I think Beer Wax out in, uh, in Crown Heights has it as well, amongst a few other bars. 
And uh, and yeah, those are two great places, and not too far mm. from you, John. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like kind of Prospect Heights. Yeah, you have no excuse now for not drinking. Clay, have you been out to? Uh, <laughs> While you're working on that dry hop, you know, I'm giving you another. I've, I've been to Coberhaven. I haven't. Um, well, I'm sorry. What was the other one? The, um, beer wax. They're yeah, fairly new. I haven't been there. That's yet. fairly new. Yeah, what, that's the, cool. The, the backstory you asked me about this radio show, and everyone should know this. In 2009, um, bunch of bar owners, including mm. myself, we created a thing called the Good Beer Seal. And the idea of that was recognizing at the time, you know, the beer bars that were independently owned but really into craft beer at a time when the beer weeks were just starting and people didn't really know about it. But these were the diehards. And, and uh, we've been really proud of how that's come along. And outgrowth of that was doing the, was a radio show. But places like Beer Wax and Kobenhoven now. Plant in Jersey City, I believe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's right. I mean, I remember, Jimmy, I interviewed you for an article... 2013 maybe and it was I mean, we were still talking about there are no good breweries in new york <laughs> <laughs> and and it's been so that was four that wasn't five years ago it was like four and a half years ago and it, it is amazing i mean obviously look i mean there's brooklyn and kelso and there were a few but uh what has changed over the last five years i mean it's amazing it's all so, in the laws yeah it's the laws, laws. Yeah. yeah no sure yeah. hey absolutely and then on that note, you said you, you, you went up to Cornell and you've, you started talking to people about some of the backstories of yeah, the I mean, ingredients the, and grains. Well, and, I mean, it's just one of the things that I think is really cool. I mean, just talking to, you know, New York, particularly Oregon, Washington, uh, a lot of these ag schools are teaming up with small brewers, small distillers, starting to develop, uh, you know, real interest in heritage grains, local grains that maybe just got forgotten, uh, heritage apples, her- I mean, all kinds of stuff. Um, I'm very, I mean, to me, that's the, the future. That's a future is just really unique local stuff that, uh, you know, if you're a small brewer or a small distiller, you don't have the money to do that research. But if you've got an ag school that's doing that research and wants to, just wants to find a partner, this is a golden opportunity. It's a wonderful time. And I think we're going to see a crazy range of, I think of it sometimes like, you know how they say, uh, humans only see certain colors and, uh, and, other animals have this broad range of colors. I feel like sometimes that's that's how it's going to be with this, where we have a certain range of flavors that we're used to because we get certain grains, and the, that will all change once we have so many different kinds of grains and apples and fruits to choose from. So you guys, the rest of you guys are brewers. You know, can can you taste, not knowing what what the grain bill is, if you tasted uh, a beer. Could you actually pick out certain grains, like if there was a rye or? Well, let's try that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, while they're while they're sampling it, I just want to point out, and I want to add on to what you said, is that I think New York breweries are super fortunate that you have an ABC that that actually embraces that. Yeah. Um, where you guys, you can get a farmer's uh, brewery license. You could be a normal brewery. You could be a a brewery right here, right next to Roberta's. And you could get a farmer's uh, brewery license where I don't know what the rules are. I believe it's 20% of your beer or 50 barrels a year. Um, do you guys have, have that, to, Sean? We do not, but uh, a few of our you know friends in the industry do. And actually, it's funny because the state's now reaching out to those breweries and asking for the reports and proof that what hmm. they're brewing with is actually 20% uh, for the first year at least. Is it twenty percent of the grain bill of each beer? Is it twenty percent of your production? I, I don't what know the it? exact details. We're a um, restaurant with a breweries attached brew pub license, okay. so we don't know the the you know finite details of the uh, the farmhouse license. But it's amazing because it it benefits 
everybody. It yeah. benefits the schools that are working on it. It benefits the breweries. It benefits the farmers. It benefits the bars and restaurants. And to have an ABC, uh, to have a governing bureau that is actually pushing for creativity is is a blessing. Well, I you mean, guys in Jersey, and that contributes farmers, to yeah. what you, you're talking about. You guys have a new uh, new governor, Brian. So uh, I don't Jersey. talk about politics when I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've actually heard that uh, water is one of the ingredients that you can use in New York for now because well, it's taking a long time for the maltsters to to uh, establish themselves. Mm-hmm. The hop farms are doing a little bit better, but uh, getting the malt. Um, is has been taking time, but a lot of breweries uh, like Fifth Hammer or Strong Rope have been making sure that they're getting the malts that they want. They've been working with the malts as they're working with the hop farm, especially Jason at Strong Rope, uh, to let them know what they want and what you know what they're looking what they for. Need. So uh, it it's been great for agriculture. It's been great for the whole beer scene. Uh, so yeah, I, from I the from the that. top to the bottom, it, it benefits everybody. And now that we're talking about it more, I believe it's. 50 barrels of your annual production has to be brewed with 20% New York State Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. I think that that's what it is. I know that, that 50 with barrels was a number, and I know that 20% was a number. So that's pretty much the only thing that makes sense at this point. So let me see if I can guess the grain bill in this. Yeah, All right, two rows to base, right? Um, a two row is the base. A two row. <laughs> uh, and the color is coming from actually brown malt, I'm thinking. No? Nope. Uh, roasted malt. It's from roasted malt? Yeah. Oh, okay. I give up. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us again. So this is called the Liar. It's Killsborough. Yeah, it's it's our um, it's it's our I guess intro brown ale. Um, again, we kind of brew our uh, beers sort of week to week. We don't know what we're going to be brewing um, two months from now, uh, but we wanted to you know uh, brew a brown ale. We've brewed this on a pilot size before, and uh, and yeah, it's it's a very clean American hoppy brown ale. Um, you know, we we kind of didn't want to handcuff ourselves too much to you know, um, sort of these traditional brown ale characteristics. Um, we, we dry hop this uh, heavily with uh, uh, Amarillo Gold. So, excuse me, I'm a little stuffy. So I said that Amarillo Gold. There we go. And uh, so it has more citrus character and a little bit of that juiciness um, that might be, uh, I guess, for an American IPA, anything with American in it is hoppy. So I guess it would be considered um, a characteristic of the style. But, uh, but yeah, just a slightly different take. So... Um, you know, like the, the nuts had that nice sort of, uh, nutty character, like you had mentioned, uh, some more of those, uh, traditional English or what you would find in English brown ale, whereas ours is a little bit cleaner, uh, and a little bit fruitier. What's the, uh, what's the, uh, ABV on that? Uh, the ABV, I can actually tell you right now, but I believe it's 7.2. Oh, wow. Both of us are up there. That's yeah. what I love about it, New York. Think, Everything's but, so high. But in it, it, um, <laughs> you know, whereas yours, it, I mean, it didn't. It wasn't too much, but you know, you could taste it. Tasted like a six. Was it six point six point nine? Yeah. You know, whereas this, you don't. It's not so booze forward. Um, yeah. Not it, that's not judgment one or the other. It's just interesting that you can have two that are. Clay, right on, there. on the way, and you were you were talking about when you did the tasting panel, you were talking about session beers and that, <laughs> you know, should brown ales be session? I mean, I've had cask ales I mean, from England that are brown that are that are lighter, ABV. But yeah. you're saying what five five and a half percent? I mean, I guess it, it's is well, that session. I mean, part of it was yeah. What's the what does session mean, right? Because uh, I mean, to Eric Asimov, I mean, he said it in the piece that uh, you know to him session is four 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 to five, and uh, you know for me it's more like six. Um, you know, this might you know six seven might push it for me, but I think you know 
probably especially for younger people it's you know session means you know seven to eight even and uh, and and that session is a lot more about flavor than proof or proof abv so much you know obviously there's a limited you know there's a, an upper limit for that but uh you know it's just not going to be an I, an ipa bomb it's not going to be you know barrel finished with uh with a lot of booze on it well english session ales are like three percent yeah no so, sure. the whole idea the word <laughs> yeah. session comes from like drinking sessions so you can yeah drink think, all night but that's the thing is that yeah. i think uh what people people with a high tolerance or who are used to drinking 10 11 percent beers mm -hmm. for them yeah they can um, at least <laughs> at least in their heads they can imagine, yeah, I'm going to drink 6% beers all night. And, Sean, at, uh, at Killsborough, excuse me, yeah. at Killsborough, you know, by volume, you know, what typical ABV are people drinking? Oh, um, it, the higher the ABV, the quicker the beer moves. That's kind of one of the, the first things we learned, and that was actually um, when we started the brewery at the Craft House. Uh, one of the partners, Vinny, who was on the, uh, the show last year, um, was very adamant about. He said that ABV actually does matter. And how, you know, um, 1% between a 7 and 8% IPA will change, um, you know, someone's buying habits. And we're witnessing it firsthand because we sell half of our product in-house. So, so that you're going to buy the 8% IPA over the 7 Absolutely. Especially if the costs are relatively the same, people will always lean towards the stronger beer. And kind of lends to that whole idea of session being a subjective thing where um, if I'm used to drinking a lot of high... ABV beers, I'm going to lean towards purchasing those, especially if they're smooth and they don't taste like 8%. And uh, Brian, what about at Departed Souls? We range. I don't think there's much on our menu uh, under five. We have a couple uh, couple beers that are very high fours, but for the most part, we linger between five and 7.4. And I would say the vast majority of our beer is between five and 6%. Um, sort of going towards what Sean was saying, we, we push the envelope, especially more with our IPAs in terms of alcohol content. Um, we learned that when we hit 10%, it slows people down a little bit. You know, it's, I think maybe because we had the restaurant first, we have a group of uh, customers that come in and will only buy the most... Uh, or the booziest beer, regardless well, of style. Well, that's a typical beer festi festival question, right? Uh, what's the strongest thing you have for me, and what's the lightest thing you have for the girl that's with me? And and I don't mean that to insult women, but that's literally <laughs> the question too, we bro. get a thousand times at yeah. beer festivals. But yeah. Now, do you guys, Sean, do you guys um, package your beer other than kegs, or is it, it just draft uh, in terms of distribution? We, we do very limited uh, can releases. So uh -huh. we just uh, we did two uh, can releases in December, and we're going to be doing another two next week. What beers were you canning? What styles were you canning? So the first two were... Um, Good question. Hazy IPAs, juicy IPAs. Uh, one was a double dry hopped IPA and the other one was a double IPA. And the next two, um, one's a little bit different. It's an imperial coconut cream ale. So mm -hmm. the coconut cream ale oh. is kind of one of our flagship, uh, you know, intro to the market beers. It's a fan favorite, especially in our community. Um, so we made an imperialized version, which we're canning next week. And a double dry hopped double IPA. Yeah. So, so for our brewery, we... Um we, we package everything. We package half of every package run in cans, half of it in kegs. Uh, and it's tough when you're on our end, and I think it's why you see less brown ales out there. Is unfortunately, people, I, and I, no slate on them, they love these hazy IPAs these days. And so few and fewer traditional beers like Kolsch's, like Red's, like Amber's, like, like these brown ales that we're talking about here today, they, they just don't move as quick. So. That's why homebrewers rule. That's right. <laughs> and that, we're going to come back in a, in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll keep talking about that. 
All right, Vitor. With you guys, so. <laughs> Well, we were doing shots earlier. So ah, you got a while to go. <laughs> but, you know, we covered a little bit of the popularity of, of brown ales, you know, in the 19th century. At some point, most beer was brown. That's what John said. And we talked about in the 1990s how many of us getting turned on to good beer were, were interested in beers with color. And that seemed to be the starting point. But, uh, Brian, so you were saying before the break that you feel like everybody's going for what style of beer now? Well, these days, I, I think the thing that moves, it's not so much what people are going for, but I think the thing that moves at craft beer bars or, or at packaged goods stores is, is the New England-style IPA. And, and as a brewer, um, you know, in New York and New Jersey, we can self-distribute our beer, and uh, we have to be conscientious of how fast a keg kicks at, at a bar like Jimmy's or, or Roberta's uh, or how quickly the cans disappear off the local packaged goods store shelf. And, and that certainly puts a hamper on, listen, our, our, our brown ale might do great on draft. It might be great in distribution. It might be great in our tasting room or our brew pub, but we need to make sure all of those facets of distribution of packaged goods sell. And that makes it tougher. That definitely weighs on you as a brewer in terms of what you're going to put out there. See, this is what fascinates me about craft beer in particular. So you get, you know, once you're once you're on the ground, you're a craft brewer, you know what you're doing, you start to think, well, you know, what else do I, what, what excites me? You know, that's why you get into it. You don't, you're not making widgets. You no. want to do something you really love and you want to be creative, but you're also making something to sell. And uh, consumers are more or less educated. They're more or less adventurous. And there's constantly that tension. You know, there are things that you want to do and there are things that people want to buy. It's yeah. a fine balance between a, a bottom line yeah, and yeah. the ADD that you have from standing <laughs> in that brew house <laughs> with the same recipe in front of you yeah. every week. And I, Listen, as a brewer, I think you want to just keep it fun for yourself. So while we do find ourselves brewing more of a particular style, um, the idea is, well, how do we continue making it fun for us too, and kind of split you know, the hairs that way. And we look at it also as, you know, a segment of a growing market just has to be gro happens to be growing faster than others. And that's okay, too. So if we're brewing a lot of hazy IPAs because that segment of the market's growing the quickest, that's cool because at least people are drinking beer. And then we can throw in the liar once in a while and, you know, please those brown ale fans and, you know, and a clear segment. John, in terms of the classes that you offer at Bitter and Esther's, do you, do you give classes by style? Like other people come oh, and no. say, I want to make brown ale. It's all about just um, making beer. So uh, that's, a, that's the beauty of homebrewers is if you give them how to make the beer. And we have it uh, beginning and, and advanced classes on making beer. Um, but then they can take it to wherever they, they want to take it. But an interesting thing is we have a couple of the Northeast IPA recipes in the store. And they sell, but they're not the, the biggest sellers. Uh, that's one thing about homebrewers is since they're only making five gallons of beer, they can mess around with it, and they will. Um, they'll they'll try all different flavors and combinations, and I'm usually there to tell them what not to do uh, a lot of times. Uh, but that's like I can see how you guys got, have – like when I go to a bar, if there's a Northeast IPA from a, a brewery I like, I'm going to drink it because I know it's going to be good. But um, when you're when you're making beer – there's there's no bottom line. There's no there's nothing to lose, and and that's really the beauty of it. And I think sometimes when someone opens a brewery, they're like, I have this lavender hibiscus 
Saison goes that uh, I love, so I, I should be able to sell it. And then, yeah, they, then they end up making a Northeast you, you IPA. Think you, got a, you think you got a great idea. But, right. but So what you're saying is that at Bitter and Esther is you can teach a man to fish and he can fish, he can eat for a living, essentially. Uh, Except for something like with, that. with drinking. Yeah. <laughs> I Drink for a living. Teach depends, a man how to Depends who you're married to, right? <laughs> how much space you have in your kitchen. But cheers to you guys. This whole brown ale yeah. thing, but even for like some of the homebrew competitions, I mean, are people are people making brown ales and putting them into the local competitions? I, I don't Sean, know. Sean, you, you, you've run a great homebrew competition every year. Uh, well, we do a, a fundraiser um, yeah. that uh, that has an array. It's Brew for Autism. It's actually April seventh this year, um, and yeah, you, you get you get it runs the gamut on styles, and a brown ale will certainly pop up. Actually, a few. Um, but to John's point, um, they're, they're usually to the taste of the brewer so or the home brewer, and it's usually something unique. Like we've had rainbow cookie brown ales, and we've had really funky stuff that, I mean, especially in this day and age, with home brewers, tastes very clean and as close to commercial beer as you possibly can get. So it's as a brewer now in the, in the commercial industry, going to homebrew events is actually a lot of fun because you can kind of you know, um, what your whistle with these styles that you don't drink enough of anymore. You know, Clay and Jimmy, you, you guys both hit on it before. In the 90s, you'd go to a bar and you'd see um, the Samuel Smiths available, and that's what you'd go to. Uh, I think it's very different these days in, mm-hmm. in that you go to a bar and you, you go to what you haven't tried before. Yeah. And that also affects you as a brewer. You know, there's, I don't know if loyalty is the right word, but there isn't so much loyalty to a particular beer anymore yeah. and and that's another reason why you see there is to breweries though you, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely I, you know certain breweries if i see they have any beer i'll be like okay i know that's gonna be good i mean in new york everybody's good yeah. yeah but also the uh i mean with beer especially i mean again just in the last couple of years you land in any town in this country and there's gonna be you know at least one local brewery and probably a couple and you, know, you may have to try a few to get the bet, but you're going to get a pretty, chances are you're going to get a pretty good beer. You know, that there's somebody, any mid-sized town or even a small, smaller city, you're going to find something good. And to me, that is so exciting. So you're not, I have my loyalties, but I also want to go try something cool um, that, uh, that, you know, I've never had before. So, yeah. Clay, we're going to take you to a remote location, Staten Island, New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, and where uh, can we find a final frontier? <laughs> where can we find good beer? Uh, so, we're, we're a 10-minute walk from the Staten Island Ferry. So, um, usually, that's actually when people ask where we're from. I never just start with Staten Island. I say, we're a 10-minute <laughs> walk from the Staten Island Ferry. Because once you say Staten Island, they're like, oh, man. Uh, but, no, it, it's, 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 uh, it's a quick trip. The boat ride is uh, the ferry. Staten Island Ferry is a, the only 24-hour bar uh, in New York City. You can buy beer on there at any hour. And, uh, you know, we, we encourage people to take the boat over. Take it's the a walk free over. ferry, too. Yeah. It's a free ferry, and we serve food. Um, and we're beer right, on the ferry, too, isn't Yeah, there, there are cans. Yeah, nice. And we're up the block hours. from Flagship, too, and we have this cool little uh, relationship going on as well where uh, the two breweries kind of, you know, help, uh, uh, help each other out. And, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing growth. Um, you know, month so do you always month, have so. a flagship on tap? <laughs> no, we don't. We, oh, oh, you mean as in, as far as uh, the guest taps? Yeah. Um, our guest taps are limited. They're about uh, four, I believe we limited it down to now. And uh, they've been on before in the past. Uh, but we rotate so much. Uh, it's usually, I think, Vinny's approach is uh, we try to tap a beer once. And 
you know, as long as the market continues the way it is with the variety, we're going to just continue to go through other beers. So we just, the last beer we had is the Avery Ellie's Brown Ale, something you talked about on the way in, Brian. Clay, I just want to get a couple qu- more questions with you. So I know you've written some, some great articles about beer. Uh, wh- what's, a, what's a favorite beer article that, that you worked on? Um, well, I, you know, I mean, I, I don't mean to pitch the latest, but uh, this is actually the first tasting panel I've been on with Eric, and that, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I've done tasting panels in a variety of other contexts, but, uh, but actually sitting down with a group of people and tasting through, in this case, brown ales, uh, and really sort of immediately bouncing off ideas and impressions. It's uh, intense in one way and also very collegial. Uh, that was like nothing I'd ever done before. So that was a lot of fun. So let's let's do that. Let, we're doing the Avery Ellie's Brown. Let's pretend we're in a more formal Mine, setting. Mine's gone. Can we open up one of the new ones? We got a couple more bottles <laughs> over there. there. Do we? Yeah. Why don't we? Yeah. yeah I, 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 I we got the, the rogue hazelnut there. I brought a pilsner like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nut brown pilsner. The one thing all, all, all the homebrew <laughs> shops. Nothing against you guys. Over the years, every time Clay, we have a, a homebrew shop That's person right. on. They always bring their beer, and they want they just want everyone to try it. Yeah. Sure. And uh, hell yeah, we will try it, John. Okay. All right. Oh, this one's got uh, hazelnut in it. This is the uh, the rogue, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we have it at Bitter and Esther's. We have this recipe. Okay, so let's Ooh. geek out. So, so let's, uh, you know, who wants to lead us in the tasting? Sean, go for it. I will say, mm. out of the um, four samples I've had so far, it's really light, um, but I like that. I, I have nothing against a light-bodied sort of um, dark beer. I don't think they always have to be. Um, Towards chewy. the thicker, chewy, cloying uh, mm-hmm. aspect. The nuts are really, really prevalent. Yeah. <laughs> and not in a bad way, but, you know. It's probably an extract. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, it tastes. I don't, it I don't does, yeah, see it tastes ABV like, anywhere on this, this bottle. I am, I'm quite confused. It's also a sweeter finish than. It's yeah. very yeah. sweet. Yeah. Very yeah, sweet. Yeah. Very sweet and light. It's yeah. a dessert, a desserty beer. Mm. A little, not 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 so much in the texture, but more maybe in the flavor. You know, there's a creaminess to it. Yeah, I, I think actually to John's point too. I think that's the hazelnut also attributing to that it being an extract because you'll get mm-hmm. more of those sort of, uh, you know, that sweetness. So, I yeah. thought it said dare risk cream on the side, but it's dream. It's oh. not cream. Sorry, <laughs> thought we were all on to something. You guys are wild. <laughs> That's no, this it. Is, this is what a formal tasting's like. No one wants to say anything else. Yeah. Well, especially it's as brewers, we're me. so used yeah. to people saying nasty things about our beer online. We're we're very hesitant to to say a negative thing about a, a, a fellow brewer. And that, I guess I guess that's that's the great part about the brewing industry today is you know we're on here talking about all these other breweries who aren't on here that are that we're friends with uh, that help each other out. And yeah. and so I don't know anybody at at Rogue, but. I'm sure it's like not going to come on here and say, man, this beer is crap. It's not crap. <laughs> yeah. For the record, yeah. Asterix is not crap. It's a delicious beer. No my, and I'm sure John would agree with me. That my approach to beer now is when people, what do you think of it? Is it good? If it's not infected, it's a good beer. I'll drink <laughs> yeah. it. It's fine. Thank it, you for sharing. Well, I, I mean, what is, it. what is beer about? You know, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's about something that you know, tastes good and it's fun and you're, you know, you get yeah, a little exactly. buzz. Now, so do you go to, uh, you were on this tasting panel, do you go to like beer festivals and and stuff like that? Homebrew contests where you can sample this stuff? Yeah, Uh, not, you know, I wish uh, I would like to do it more uh, procedurally. I mean, I go when I can, but... you know. I can't see whether there's a ring on your finger right now, and that's probably the answer you're tiptoeing around. Let's say I'm doing a little less uh, these days. Uh, but um, no, I mean, it's, you know, I'd, I'd 
mostly just you know get out when I can to breweries and 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 bars and just try to. You, you should come to my store. Possible. Yeah, we do a, a monthly bottle swap every first Wednesday. Oh, right? yeah. yeah, it was last night. We had forty oh. people, uh, forty homebrewers, and they, they, bringing beer. And it's a great way to see what people are actually making. Clay, I was going to say, have, have you ever stuff. sat in on a homebrewing class? I've never sat. Uh, uh, no. I, I I went to one with Johns and it, it made me realize that I respect brewers and I will never brew because for two oh, hours he talked about cleaning. No, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, ninety percent cleaning. And right? to give John a 90%. solid shout out, right? Being from New Jersey, uh, I was a home brewer from New Jersey. My when I won uh, third place best in show at Homebrew Alley. I don't know how long ago. I got a gift certificate to Bitters and Essers, and I, I traversed the subways and the seven layers of the Gumdrop Forest to get over to Bitter and <laughs> Essers, and it is one of the most amazing homebrew shops I've ever been in. So that man deserves so much credit nice. for what he's done for New York beer. A lot of what you're drinking and a lot of that change in, in New York yeah. beer that, that you're talking about and how better it's, how much better it's gotten is due to that man right well, there. And, and if, you, if you go to one of those bottle swaps, you can actually taste firsthand Bitter and Esther's influence in the community because all of those beers will be fantastic. I, it's been a while since I've gone to a bottle swap and not thoroughly enjoyed a beer. And you know that's because of what they're doing at the shop and the help that they've provided those home brewers and the education. And it's a great spot. And, John, are you the only homebrew shop left in New York City? We're it. Yeah. So basically, the other ones. people are buying their supplies really? online. Clay, it's been a problem. There, there were more in New York. That's people why are buying me. supplies it, online. And because of John and his partner, the, the classes and the services they provide to the homebrew community is, is why they're open. Yeah, they're a special right. place. They're like brown ales. We've got to wrap this up. It's hard to find a great one, but when you find one, they stay forever. So, Brian, that's his answer. But another question. Each one of you start with Clay. It's dumb, but it's a good question. What does brown mean to you? Uh, you mean brown ale? <laughs> <laughs> He's also wearing a brown jacket. I'm wearing a brown too. jacket. I'm wearing yeah. a brown shirt too. Yeah, you know, deliberately. Uh, I don't. You know, it's got to be malty. <laughs> um, I guess I'm next. Uh, I think uh, to that point, most uh, malty and a little roasty. Maybe not so much uh, like a stout, but my brown nails need to have a, a, that slight sort of toasty, roasty character to it. First thing that comes to mind for me is James Brown. <laughs> so that's what Brown means. I love to me. you guys, man. And I, I would say that, um, yes, I was thinking the Samuel Smith nut brown ale is, to me, that's when I think brown ale. That's a style that will reset my palate. It will take me from IPAs. I could drink that. I think style-wise, I think brown ales, from what we've tasted and what you guys did in the Times panel, they're kind of all over the place, and I think that might be a problem. Um, I think that we all need a real go-to drinkable brown ale, and uh, I think that's a challenge for you guys. I think of what we tried today, Brian, Departed Soul was the closest. Thank um, you. Sean, yours was great, a little, a little stronger than my session beer. Um, we talked about session, you know, percentages. Clay, you're like five, five and a half percent is still session. I think so too. But uh, this is a great show, and I really appreciate you guys coming in. Um, thank you, Jamie. Thank, thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for engineer Vitor and uh, producer Justin Kennedy. And uh, we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Cheers. Cheers. for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.